Hey everyone, let's go. Welcome back. It's another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. It's Mike Wobshaw, Wobby, here to talk tight ends, among many other things. Our position-by-position look at the Vikings roster heading into 2023 continues, while we also look to keep our ear to the ground on the many other happenings throughout the Vikings and National Football League world. So it's been two weeks since our last recording. A lot has happened since then. We're going to talk about all of it in a short amount of time. We're going to get to a lot of information. So it's going to be a quick hitting, fast running show. No one better to help me break it all down, though, than my usual partner. It's Giles. How's it going, bud? Hey, hey, doing well. I've been on the road a little bit the past few weeks, so I'm glad to get in front of the mic again. Uh, I was just in Vegas uh, right when they traded Jimmy G over to the Raiders. So the the women on the streets were definitely uh, walking around (laughs) with some smiles on. Uh, I I don't know about you, but that's the reason my wife watches football. So uh, lots going on in the football world. I, you know, there may be some other reasons that she watches football uh, on my side (laughs) of things, but I will certainly say that's, um, that's among them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's certainly among them. And I, I would also say um, I, I kind of find it easy to root for Jimmy G, you yeah. know, and he's a likeable, likeable guy. I think he is too. Um, you, you know, he's got that really sort of s- like suave, like clean image that some people naturally aren't attracted to or mm-hmm. don't, don't find it easy to root for that. But mm-hmm. just the way he comes off and I think he's mild mannered. I think he's likable. I happen mm-hmm. to find myself cheering for him a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I will with the Raiders. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, he had the black suit and, you know, he had the slick back hair and I'm just like, that fits. I mean, from yeah. a brand standpoint, that is a signing that fits. Now we'll see what happens on the field. Um, but from an aesthetic uh, standpoint anyway, and a stylistic standpoint, that, that was a good, I liked it. That that's a good fit. Yeah. And it clearly they're hoping for this to be more of a plug and play mentality, considering that he has a background with Josh McDaniels back when he uh, lived with the Patriots. Um, but uh, yeah, the Patriots or the, the Raiders rather are kind of an interesting team. Um, they have some really uh, big strengths, but I feel like they're also kind of in a reset window. Um, so they're yeah. kind of an enigma to me where if they were really bad next year, I wouldn't be surprised. And if they found a way to be competitive, I also wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Um, but all that to say they are in probably the most competitive division in football. Well, they are. And I, and I- I think what's really interesting about that division two guiles is what, what sort of improvement do we expect to be generated from Sean Payton joining the Broncos there with Russell Wilson? I think that's a huge X factor in that division mm-hmm. because there, there came a point last season where you wrote the Broncos and Russell Wilson off in that division. And, and probably in the first quarter of the season, it became pretty apparent that that wasn't going to work out. So you yeah. went into the season thinking, geez, any of those four teams could win the division. Mm-hmm. And like a month into it, I think you were kind of counting the, you were kind of counting the Broncos out and the Raiders kind of just looked like the same old Raiders to me. Yeah. So um, this year, I think again, we'll be looking at the West as like that, that could be a really tough division, you know? So mm-hmm. um, we'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. And I, I really don't root against anyone, you know, like, and, and the AFC West, I really don't root against anyone there. I think that's a fun division to watch and I'll be excited mm-hmm. to watch it again here in, in 2023. Um, but uh, we're not here to talk about the AFC West. We're here to talk about the Minnesota Vikings. I thought, you know, we, we sort of teased a couple of weeks ago that we'd, we'd continue that, that position by position preview of the Vikings roster. And we're going to get to tight ends today. So that'll be fun. We'll talk about TJ Hawkinson and, 
Josh Oliver and what that position group will look like for the Vikings. But let's go through some of the, the news items that happened in the last two weeks, Giles, uh, while we were off the mic. Uh, we'll start with, before we get to Byron Murphy, uh, let's, let's start with Adam Thielen as he says goodbye to Minnesota and hello to Carolina. He will play for the Carolina Panthers in 2023. He signed a three-year deal. Uh, I think it was 21 or 22 million. I think it was worth. Sounds right. Yeah. Um, with the Carolina Panthers. Interesting to me. I don't know that many people before seeing the reports that he was going to visit Carolina. I don't know that you would have pegged Carolina as a landing spot for him. I think you're looking at, you know, is he going to go to the chiefs or the bills or the jets and Rogers mm -hmm. or the Raiders, you know, instant contender. Mm -hmm. So an interesting move. However, I think when you look at the whole picture, it kind of makes sense from a few different standpoints. And I don't think the Panthers are as far off from contending as some might think. And I'm not going to put my stamp on this and say the Panthers are a playoff team in 2023, but I'm certainly not ruling them out of it. I think they have a lot of things going in the right direction, or at least they've gotten a lot of awful things in Carolina sort of squared away and figured out. And then of course they, they execute the huge trade to get the number one overall pick in this year's mm -hmm. draft. So um, all of this to say, interesting move and I'll be rooting for Thielen, um, in Carolina and, um, all in all, not shocked by his decision to go there. What did you think of it when you saw the headline? Yeah, honestly, similar to you, I think uh, when exploring free agency for someone like Adam, I think there's three main things that come into play. Uh, what are you going to get paid? Uh, what does the quality of life look like? Maybe like, what's the weather like? Things like that. Am I going to a warm climate? And then a yeah. win now window. Am I am able to actually pursue a ring here? And I think for the reasons that you mentioned, I think the the popular thought would be that he'd go to the chiefs or the bills or someone that is currently in contention. Um, so when people saw that he went to the Panthers, they're like, Oh yeah, you, you, uh, you wanted to go someplace better and look at you, you're going to someplace worse. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think there's more to the, the story there. And I think, um, I think Carolina may have tipped their hat to him on what they're planning on choosing from a number one overall pick standpoint. And that was enough to get uh, Thielen to say, Hey, I believe in that guy, whether it, regardless of who it might be uh, that yeah. they pick at number one, that I think we can either win this year or next year with that quarterback. Uh, thus forth, the, the, uh, the actual length of the contract that he did sign where he thinks within that window, they might have actually have a shot, which then obviously leans into he may be uh, gleaning into his philosophy on what it takes to win a Super Bowl. Um, either you need to have Patrick Mahomes or you need to have a rookie scale contract quarterback. Um, I mean, that's me speculating a little bit, but I think that's maybe what went into yeah. his, his uh, criteria. Yep. Plus it's nice weather down there. Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful area down there. Um, you know, I, you hit on an interesting uh, note, Giles, because I think, I think you're spot on that a lot of folks would see that and be like, well, it must have been all about the money for Adam. I mean, he went to Carolina. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you got to be careful with that because this whole thing is designed to bring everyone back to the middle. Mm -hmm. Like, you do really well one season, you mm -hmm. pick worse in the draft, you have a harder schedule, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then your, your guys obviously played well. So now they want to get paid and there's a hard salary cap. So it's, it's designed to draw you back to the pack. Mm -hmm. And if you fall away from the pack, um, you pick earlier in the draft and you have an easier schedule. Mm -hmm. And 
So that's, that's designed to pull you back up to the pack. So mm-hmm. that's where the Panthers are right now. They're, they're, they're naturally going to be drawn back in to the pack. Plus mm-hmm. they're going to add Adam Thielen. They signed Miles Sanders. They signed Von Bell. They got a new head coach. So you got to be careful when you look at it that way with Adam Thielen, because it's like, if you're not careful as a Vikings fan thinking that mm-hmm. come December, 2023, Carolina is going to be a playoff team and you're not. And then it's like, geez, that really turned on its head. And it's like, that happens in the NFL all the time, every single year, you know, and I think about like Christian Kirk going from Arizona with Kyler Murray and he goes to Jacksonville, right. With coming off the urban Meyer thing. And I bet you there was Cardinals fans that were just like, he went there. Like what? Mm -hmm. I mean, what's, well, guess what? I mean, the Cardinals end up firing their coach. They're, they don't not sure if they believe in their quarterback. They didn't make the playoffs and the Jaguars made the playoffs. So one one anecdotal example there but that's what happens in this league yep and i think if you would explore every division in football carolina might be the best and most likely team to win their division um when yeah. you look at the strength of division i'm sorry but the nfc yeah. south is not in a great position right now especially with the exit of tom brady so the carolina if they can actually um work with this new rookie quarterback that they're perceivably going to to draft i think they're going to be in a great position to make the yep. playoffs and then obviously go on a run Yep. I agree with you. You know, their defense was middle of the road. They are now transitioning to a three, four. And one of their additions was the Broncos defensive coordinator, uh, Ezra Evero. Yeah. And so they'll go to a three, four, but they were middle of the road. I think they were 11th in total and 19th in scoring. So, you know, they can improve there, but their offensive line is pretty good. And uh, like I said, you know, Miles Sanders, Adam Thielen, um, they signed Hayden Hurst as well, which Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he's not TJ Hawkinson, but he's, he's okay. Yep. Um, they have good draft picks and they're going to, I think they're going to take CJ Stroud probably, or the Kentucky kid. I don't know who they're going to mm-hmm. take, but yeah. So anyway, I'm happy for Adam. Hope he plays well. And um, you know, we'll see what happens now. That's a Vikings subtraction. In addition is Byron Murphy. And you and I haven't had the chance to connect on this either. I thought his contract terms were interesting. Didn't you? Mm-hmm. Um, because it wasn't a break the bank deal for this guy who I think is worth that. So I don't know if he was disappointed in what he was getting for offers and he wants to set himself up for another big payday in two years. Mm -hmm. Or if I had just overvalued Byron Murphy in my mind, but I saw the headline at two years, 22 million. And I, you know, I don't, I don't keep my ear to the ground enough guys to like, go to the NFLPA's website or whatever and look and read the, the paragraph five of the contract. But I think it was two years, 22 million. And I would have thought he was going to sign for more, to be honest. Uh, but I do think there are a couple of void years on the end of it, um, okay. if I remember correctly, which I think helps uh, you know spread yeah. that out. Um, but yeah, very, very favorable contract for the Minnesota Vikings. I, I thought so. So I love this because even with the caveat that free agency can be fool's gold, and sometimes mm-hmm. the best free agent deals for you are the ones that you come in second place on, mm-hmm. you know? And I, like, I remember Namdi Asamoah, like it was like Vikings fans. Oh my God. Like got to get him. And we didn't get him. And everyone was like, what a letdown. I <sighs> failed the off season. Yep. I mean, what an awful contract that ended up being for, I think the Eagles signed him. Um, or did he go? I can't remember if he came from the Raiders and went to the Eagles or vice versa, but you know, the Vikings were suitors for him. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up not getting them. And it's a great thing they didn't. So um, anyway, at the end of the day, fills a position of need. 
for them. I still think they can get depth there. I would still like an upgrade at nickel corner, but really like the idea of Murphy as your, as your top corner. Um, and it was a signing that I, I looked at and like gave it a thumbs up to like, that was a nice one. Well, and if I remember correctly, he's actually played some slot. Um, so I think there's a potential versatility to, to Byron, um, depending on what we do Great. with the rest of the offseason. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's rumblings on the street that the Vikings are still pursuing other candidates on free agency uh, or on, you know, on the market. Um, so if they do pursue a uh, quarterback more, um, whether that's via draft, uh, trade, or just general free agency, there's a chance that he could play in the slot. Um, because that was a, definitely a position of need, like you mentioned for us. That was an area that definitely caused part of our downfall. Um, but honestly, he played pretty well. Now, I think some people go back and forth because they initially go to right to PFF and say, oh, he only had a, I think a 66th grade last year, which is not horrible, but it's also not great. You're you know, yeah. slightly above average. You know? um, you're right on the, the precipice of being really, really good, but you're right below that. Um, but when I look at his game-by-game game breakdown, he was a scenario where he was relatively boomer bust. So that's yeah. where on the bust ones uh, from the snap count standpoint, he was a little bit lower. So I don't know if something happened. I haven't been able to look at his tape yet. Um, but seemingly if Brian Flores can bring him in and maximize that upside, he has phenomenal play in him. It's just as long as he can make it consistent. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I do think that's a, a pretty intriguing um, uh, signing for us, especially considering the, the overall draft uh, or, you know, the, the, the capital you had to give up to, to bring him in the door. Um, so honestly, very, very excited. Definitely yeah. a, a, an addition um, for, for that room for us. Yeah. I, I'll just wrap it up with this and say, you know, not every free agent signing works out free agent signing to this caliber mm -hmm. works out and this one might not, but mm -hmm. it looks and feels good to me. And I just think like, so it's like, we need a starting, we need to improve our cornerback room. And it, it's mm -hmm. like, uh, we'll use our first round pick and then we'll develop some of the guys we have that we really believe in. It's like, that, that's a good, that's a good plan. Mm -hmm. However, when you say, you know what, dang it, we're, we're, we're just going to solidify one spot and we're going to go get Byron Murphy Jr. Mm -hmm. And then it's like for the depth pieces and maybe a complimentary starter, if, mm -hmm. if Duke Shelley doesn't end up working out, Mm -hmm. Then it's like, then we're going to throw all those grassroots ways of doing it into that. We're going to solidify this with a free agent signing a known commodity that mm -hmm. should work. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to develop and throw a high pick at the, like that to me is a higher probability of succeeding and trying to generate improvement at that spot. So yep. uh, very good signing, much needed, fills a need. And just puts, just takes a little bit of pressure off of everything else involved in the cornerback room. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to drafting one, developing the talent you already have, and then coaching them up. I still mm -hmm. wouldn't be opposed to corner being the pick in the first round. I, I still think you can do that. I think uh, the, the part you need to guard against, though, is that when you, you analyze all the different positions that you can draft in the first round, I yes. think cornerback is one of the, the ones where it's hard to draft a really, a really productive player in the first round when you're not drafting in like the top 10, because yeah. at the end of the day, if they're good, they're going to go right away. Yeah. So you're, you're almost always going to have to take a subpar corner um, right away, which means they're going to take a little bit of improvement. So if you're looking at uh, immediately improving your cornerback room, I would say I'm generally of the opinion that you should go grab it on free agency, um, you know, where you can go instantly improve the room, a guy that's proven versus a cornerback in the first round on the later half might yep. take a year or two to develop. So if you're looking to instantly get better, 
that's a, a, a space where I'm a little bit concerned. But at the end of the day, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that's an area where we need to improve for both today and tomorrow because we don't want to just throw in all, all in for right now this year. We need to improve. We also need to consider our cornerback room next year and the year after because although we do have some dire needs at the moment, we also have some dire needs down the road as well. So although we're signing you know, for a year or two for this guy, you know, we do need to consider the overall health long-term of the position. Yep. And I think to augment that also, it's an expensive position. So like mm -hmm. even when you get it right, you draft it right, get it right, you might not be able to bring that guy back, right? I mean, so um, an important position to get right, an expensive position to have right, and I think the Vikings took a good step uh, by signing Byron Murphy. So that was one. Mm -hmm. when, when they traded for TJ Hawkinson, I was like, geez, that really makes a lot of sense. And then it, he played, and I'm like, wow, what a trade. That's amazing. I can't say I was immediately that high on the Byron Murphy signing, but when I saw this come through the wire, I was like, that's pretty good. That, that mm -hmm. was a good one. So, mm -hmm. um, all right. Alexander Madison Giles. I have to say I was do doubly surprised here. A, I thought he was going to sign with a different team mm -hmm. and B, I thought it was going to cost much more. Mm -hmm to keep him if you were going to keep him or for another team to sign him to sign him. Yep. And it, look, we're not negotiating contracts. We're not agents for players calling GMs and owners. I just was surprised two years, 8 million, 6.25 million guaranteed. Again, it looks like a Vikings friendly deal here. Yep. I completely agree. I don't okay. know if that's simply Alexander Madison wanting to stay in purple or if he loves his house when he lives here. I mean, his yeah. kids are in school here or something. Um, but I think the other thing can also be true in the fact that I think the running back market is starting to level set. Now we, we've yeah. mentioned that on a previous few episodes, but I think massive contracts are starting to come to the wayside. And I think, um, Obviously, Alexander Madison is not the top premier back in the league. I think he's a, a solid number two, and he would be a great number one on some teams um, where he's a, a very productive uh, running back. Um, so the fact that, like you mentioned, that we were able to get him at this price, I am I'm very glad at that. Now, yeah. I think um, when you pair that with the fact that Dalvin Cook is still on our roster, that is another part that's kind of interesting to me. I don't know if yeah. it's simply because Dalvin Cook had a, a surgery in the offseason and teams are simply waiting to get a physical on him before willing to trade for him. But it seems odd that you would both pay Alexander Madison and keep Dalvin cook in your roster. Um, unless the plan is to move off of Dalvin cook next off season. So then next year, you know, not, not in 2023, but 2024, Alexander Madison takes the helm and actually becomes the RB one. Um, okay. I don't know. Uh, it, it's kind of a confusing uh, signing to me. Me too. I was, I was surprised by it. It initially it signaled to me that Dalvin was in it signaled to me that Delvin is in the plans. That's what okay. it signaled to me. Okay. Or at a minimum, it signaled to me that the Vikings are posturing as if they aren't moving off of Delvin. Okay. Right. So Which you would the... want to do, right. If you want to increase his value on the market, mm -hmm. you know, because it's like, if you're the Vikings and all you do is give Alexander Madison a two-year contract. I don't think they're going to take one in the first round. Mm -hmm. And you don't do anything with Dalvin. You just stand pat with Dalvin. It looks to me like, well, Dalvin's your guy. You're sticking with Dalvin, which then if I'm another team, I'm like, well, we're going to have to offer more. I mean, he's their guy. 
-hmm. right? So um, it's that's what it signals to me. Now, um, there might be a deal in the works. There might be some some timing that we're not aware of that is relative to other teams that are interested in Dalvin and maybe a Dalvin deal is going to happen on draft day or whenever. I don't, I don't know, but it looks to me like Dalvin's going to be a Viking next year right now. That's how that yep. would be my prediction. So, yeah, which is a relatively high cap hit for that position. But uh, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it looks like they're kind of running it back on offense. Yes, it does. I mean, other than <laughs> the, the reduction of Adam Thielen, obviously that's a, a piece of the puzzle. Um, he had a pretty big uh, decline in 2022, but, uh, but yeah, they're trying to run it back. Yep. I think they are too. With the change of, with a full incorporation of Hawkinson as the second option, Correct. where you kind of were hybriding with, we got to get feeling the looks and the targets, but mm -hmm. Hawkinson's coming. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I would say that Quezzy and O'Connell probably knew when they traded for Hawkinson that Thielen would not be here next year, right? Agreed. Wouldn't you say that? Yeah. yeah. So, or at least not as existing cap hit, right? Like yeah. the, the assumption that there's no way they could make it work. Yeah. Yep. So um, we'll talk more about that in the next segment. Uh, let's get mm -hmm. to the last sort of uh, headliner. And it was a somber one. It was a somber one with the passing of Bud Grant. Um, and, you know, he was 95 years old. So this is not one that just from a numbers and an age standpoint, probably you can't say you were surprised. However, he had so much vitality late in life and he, there was no known like incoming illness or like this was going to come soon. So from that standpoint, it's like, oh man, like uh, a shocker. And in interestingly, one of my best friends uh, in life and certainly my, my best friend at the Vikings uh, is Bob Hagen, who was the mm -hmm. executive director of public relations. And he's transitioning into a consultant role. Uh, last season was his final season full time. And he had the Vikings through a retirement party for him uh, um, the week that Bud Grant died. And, oh. and um, so unfortunately, Bud wasn't able to be there, but his son, Mike Grant was there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and so it, it was, it would have been just awesome if Bud would have been able to be there. You know, it would have been one last time that I would have gotten to see him and say hi. Um, I don't remember the last time that would have been when I saw him, probably in 2019 uh, somewhere. But lots of good memories that we all have of Bud Grant. And certainly, you know, I've heard people say Mount, Mount Rushmore of the Minnesota Vikings, you know, and I'm like, like he's the logo. I mean, you could make mm -hmm. him the logo, you know, yep. like Mount Rushmore is a high honor, but I mean, that, that guy is you know, he's Jerry West for the NBA. I mean, to put that, make that man the logo, right? So, um, yeah, he's a true Titan of industry. I mean, even people yeah. that aren't Minnesota Vikings fans know of Bud Grant and his impact on and off the field for the Vikings. Yeah. I'll always remember, um, he had a birthday one year. I can't remember if this was, I'll have to look on the photo. I have a photo of it, but, um, it was 2014 or 15 and it was his birthday. And, um, so, one of the full-time writers with the Vikings who's still there is Lindsay Young. She does great work mm -hmm. for, for the Vikings. Um, but uh, she had a really uh, special relationship with Bud. So uh, for his birthday one year, Lindsay and I went to nothing but cake and, um, and got him a birthday cake and went over to his house and gave it to him. And um, I don't think he really was like all into being celebrated. In fact, I know he wasn't, you know, so I yeah. don't think he appreciated that and nor did he really understand 
what a nothing bunt cake was, you know, like it wasn't a, <laughs> so like we had, yeah. but you know, it was a great memory and a picture that I have that I'll, you know, always remember. And I didn't post it, but uh, maybe when, when we post this episode of the Wobcast 2.0, I'll post that picture. But um, you know, uh, a lot of people have memories like that of Bud. Of course he had his garage sales, right? Yeah. I'm sure you've heard about those. Oh, yeah. So of course. Yeah. the whistle to start the garage sale. So um, certainly an icon in Vikings history and uh, it'll never be the same without Bud. Um, and, and, you know, for those listening, you're certainly familiar with Bud Grant and his place with the Vikings, but he's really got a broader place in sports, mm -hmm. um, you know, with the university of Minnesota, the Winnipeg blue bombers and the Minneapolis Lakers. So certainly mm -hmm. worth, um, jumping into a rabbit hole and going down and learning more about Bud Grant, uh, lots of great facts and stats and history with Bud Grant, Minnesota and, and the Vikings. So yeah, RIP to a legend. All right. Um, let's talk tight ends, Giles. And this, this was a fun one to, um, for me to sort of get ready to do and to prep for, mm -hmm. uh, because of what we talked about, I was just so high on the trade for TJ Hawkinson. And mm -hmm. I think the presence of Hawkinson makes the tight end discussion for the Vikings different than in previous years when you've had Kyle Rudolph or Irv Smith or Vasante Shanko or whoever, because you really have an elite caliber player at that mm -hmm. position. Yep. And, and I think when that's like, he's a foundational player mm -hmm. and, and, and I think he's not like Travis Kelsey, where he's your wide receiver one essentially. And you can ship Tyreek Hill to the dolphins and you still have a wide receiver one type player. Mm -hmm but I do think he's high end, like wide receiver two, where if mm -hmm. I told you put all the tight ends and put all the wide receivers into one group, categorize them as WR ones and WR twos. I think Hawkinson's mm -hmm. one of the better WR twos, even with all the other WR twos, right? Okay. So yeah. I think that means your actual WR two can be like a little, can be a, a developmental guy or it can be a low end number two mm -hmm. and you still feel really good about it. Or you can elevate KJ Osborne to it and still feel good about it because you have TJ Hawkinson. Mm -hmm. So I think it's an interesting way to look at this position group. The other thing about this position group is, and not just for the Vikings, but in general, you know, it's really changed a lot in the NFL. I mean, you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're splitting them out wide. Mm -hmm. You're flexing them. Um, and, and so I think with Hawkinson, you have sort of a more modern day version of that, of that player. However, the signing of Josh Oliver, um, signals that you still are valuing the, the brute and the, the muscle and the sort of the 12 personnel grouping and the run the ball mentality that that position can really bring. So um, really a fun position to look at, I think for the Vikings, for all of those reasons. And I don't know if you want to start with Josh Oliver or start with TJ Hawkinson Giles, but I'm sure you are chock full of, um, opinions and stats on it. Yes. Um, so that's sort of the foundation I think for this position to, uh, to discuss. And I think you should take it from there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think we're going to discuss both uh, TJ Hawkinson and Josh Oliver uh, and how that relates into the greater state of the Minnesota Vikings tight end room, yeah. because at the end of the day, 
I think the moves this offseason have really indicated the direction the Minnesota Vikings are going to go down. And I'll get to that more in a second. Um, but if we look at TJ Hawkinson first, obviously he had a phenomenal year. Um, and I'm, uh, obviously he only played a portion of the year with the Minnesota Vikings. So yep. although he ended this season at a 73.2 offensive grade, um, I think giving him this offseason to be able to prepare and actually get fully integrated into the offense, I expect him to take a massive step forward uh, mm -hmm. where he was elite in a lot of categories. Um, he was pretty decent at uh, pass blocking and receiving. Receiving, he had a 76th grade. Um, and when you compare that to his past years, almost every year since his introduction into the, into the league in 2019, he's improved. His 2019 year, he ended the year with an offensive grade of 60.5. And within essentially a three-year window, he made it up to 73. So he is improving and I expect him to take even yet another step forward. Um, when you look at even this past um, season, when you started uh, with the Minnesota Vikings all the way to the end of the season, um, his last game, even in the, uh, uh, the, the playoff game against the giants, he ended the, the, the game with a 90.6 grade. Um, his, you know, his last few games, he had an 84, a 73, like he was doing very, very well. So I yeah. think uh, to, to kind of compliment what you're saying, I think TJ Hawkinson is an exact um, tight end that you want to build around. And yeah. although he is wide receiver two on our team, in my opinion, I think he would be wide receiver one on some teams that lack both positions. Yeah, I think he's that yeah. good. I would put him in a top five tight end category. Um, and I do expect him to take a step forward. And uh, I know some people were kind of confused when you transition over into Josh Oliver, because he didn't necessarily uh, get leveraged that much in the passing game uh, for the, the Baltimore Ravens. Um, but Honestly, when you look at for both receiving and uh, pass blocking, he is an elite tight end as well. He just doesn't uh, get as much flash as someone like TJ yeah. Hawkinson, okay. where yeah. um, he's one of the one of the best, if not the best, blocking tight end in the league. This guy is a dude. If you're looking to add another essentially offensive lineman, this is one of those categories. Yeah. Now he had limited snaps in 2022 when it came to targeting from a uh, pass standpoint. He only had 25 targets but he still caught 64% of his passes. Uh, yeah. He actually did pretty good. He averaged 10.9 yards a carry. Uh, he had two touchdowns. Um, I think when you're looking at his production, I, I look at that far more as uh, uh, the schematic element of how to get him involved, where if you can get him more involved in the passing game for the Minnesota Vikings, I'm actually intrigued where the, the Minnesota Vikings can go because at the end of the day, when we look at the personnel groupings um, for the Minnesota Vikings, mm -hmm. we ran 12 personnel 15% of the time. So to refresh the audience, 12 personnel means you have two tight ends, two wide receivers, and a running back. Yep. So 15% of snaps, we ran 12 personnel. We ran 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers, one tight end, and one running back 64% of the time. We ran it a lot. Now, uh, the team that ran the most 11 personnel was the Rams. Uh, but when you look at the teams that ran the most 12 personnel, um, the Seahawks, and for a while they were sitting great uh, in a number one offensive position for a few games. Um, you know, uh, when you look at the, the high flying offense, they ran uh, 12 personnel, 12 personnel, 40% of the time. Uh, mm -hmm. The Packers were 37% of the time. The Jets were 32% of the time and tied for fourth is the chiefs and they ran uh, 12 personnel 32% of the time. So mm -hmm. considering the fact that the chiefs won the super bowl, I'm not necessarily against using that as a formula to say, how can the Vikings be better offensively? Because the things that the chiefs uh, didn't have that I think we do is now we have one elite tight end and one, at least above average tight end. I don't look at the chiefs and say, Oh, you have two great tight ends. 
they ran 12 personnel and they got Kelsey involved. So if we can get both of these guys involved, I actually think that could be a really unique formula um, for us to be able to go achieve offensive success. Cause when you break down all the different elements for 12 personnel, um, if you look at um, the Kansas city chiefs, they ran once again, um, you know, the, the 12 personnel um, about 20 or well, I forget the exact percentage I said, uh, but they had a 57% success rate when it came to um, 12 personnel. So yeah. if you sort that um let's see here um at the end of the day um uh they, they're one of the top leagues or uh, the the top units in the league in terms of success rate for uh 12 personnel and once yeah. again they only had one good tight end so i'm really really excited about where they yep. can go um with two tight ends yeah and so i think it's and we talked about this i believe in the last episode guys but it's like you think kevin o'connell and you think rams sean mcveigh Mm -hmm. throw the ball all over the place, creative, high scoring, like flashy, whatever. And it's like, yep, he can do that. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's something that he can do with the Vikings and Kirk cousins and Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson and KJ Osborne and really knowing how to get people in space. And mm -hmm. yes, however, the ability for someone like Kevin O'Connell to draw up those plays and get explosive and have a really productive offense and high scoring that, that comes from, that comes from a creative place. Like it's mm -hmm. because they are creative. Mm -hmm. So that also means that they are not just a one personnel type of coach. Like he just, mm -hmm. he doesn't have to be in just 11 personnel. Mm -hmm. O'Connell can be productive in 12 and creative mm -hmm. in 12 personnel too. And mm -hmm. if you get into a position as an offense where you are able to mash the ball in 12 personnel, I mean, you talk about being able to, to use play action and bootlegs mm -hmm. and, and you talk about getting linebackers on TJ Hawkinson and yep. um, in coverage, that's how you do it. I mean, yep. if you're out there in 12, you're, you're hard pressed as a defense to have a nickel corner out there. Yep. I mean, you, you got to have three linebackers out there. And now of all of those players that you're sending out in routes and those concepts you're using, you got linebackers trying to defend them. I mean, you're scoring points. Yep. It's a no-go for the other defense. I yeah. completely agree. And I think when you loop that into the accuracy of a quarterback, that's where this becomes even more intriguing because at the end of the day, like if you can have a, a tight end against a, a linebacker, that's really, really fast. They're also really tall. So when you think about being able to place the ball really up high, I think that's where the chiefs have obviously had a phenomenal year um, when it comes to that. And uh, when you look at Dalton Schultz from the, the Cowboys, he may be a free agent this year, but last year they ran the Cowboys specifically ran uh, 11 personnel, 50% of the time and uh, 12 per personnel, 31% of the time. And the, the breakdown, when you look at chiefs and Cowboys, they almost had the exact same offensive strategy and the chiefs went significantly further than the Cowboys. And I think that part of that is because of the, the accuracy um, where yeah. they're able to leverage that tight end set and, and able to, to actually be productive on it um, uh, and actually achieve success. Like I was talking to a guy named Sean, uh, well, uh, Sean and Mike from uh, con expo um, when I was out there this last week in Vegas and they're avid. Cowboys fans. And oh, they were okay. saying, honestly, when you look at the Cowboys,
Cowboys, you're stacked at a lot of positions, but the accuracy of Dak is becoming uh, kind of concerning where they're wondering if he's the long-term option. So you even have Cowboys that are questioning the accuracy of, of Dak Prescott. So, um, you know, when you translate that to the Vikings, we have a very accurate quarterback. So maybe there's a chance that we can try to mimic the success of the Chiefs by mimicking their offensive uh, personnel sets between yep. 11 and 12 personnel. Yep. I think the other thing too, Giles, is it, you know, in this, in this position, you know, you need your finesse pass catchers, you need your blockers and you need guys who can double dip and play on teams. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they thought enough about Josh Oliver and his role to go out and, and spend a free agent contract three years and 21 million on it, it tells me that in their plan, they have a very clearly defined role and mm -hmm. need for this. And they went out and filled it and got it. Yeah. And <clears throat> I like that, you know, it shows yeah. vision to me. I mean, what'd you want to go sign a lesser version of TJ Hawkinson? I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think that would have been great. I think, mm -hmm. I think even though you can't see it, it's an important role. The one that mm -hmm. Josh Oliver is going to play. <clears throat> and since you need it, the Vikings went and got, an industry best practice at that, at that role. And mm -hmm. they're obviously going to need it. So yep. another signing I was really in favor of, and I just think it makes the room better and any developmental guys that you have now, they have a better chance of succeeding because they're not going to be thrust into a role too soon. Mm -hmm. You're covered for your, like your starting tight ends, your starting pass catching tight end is Hawkinson. Mm -hmm. And you're starting like utility blocking tight end is Josh Oliver. So Johnny Munt or whoever else you draft or bring in here, they just, there's less pressure on them to perform or overperform and mm -hmm. they can be put in their natural roles. They can develop. So I just look at the roster and I'm like, tight ends are a great position for the Vikings. Mm -hmm. And I don't poo poo that. I think that's a position that it makes sense to be good at. Look at the, the Eagles and the chiefs. Look at the Niners, like teams that were in the Super Bowl or were in the conference title games. They got good tight ends. All yep. of them do yep. good, good rooms. And, and the Vikings do have one. So, yep. Yeah, no. And uh, it further emphasizes the Vikings uh, uh, priority on pass protection or blocking in general, but understanding we want to be able to have the ability to block when necessary. I think that has been one of the, the common denominators for the Vikings the past few years that when we needed to have success, we fell short because pass protection fell apart uh, where the, yeah. the opposing team knew what we were going to do and we couldn't protect against it. So we're trying to load up on the front lines uh, to be able to ensure that when push comes to shove, we can still achieve success when even when the other team knows what we're going to do. Yeah. So, you know, one thing too, that I just thought of Giles, because you, you mentioned a tight end as like a, like not predicting it, but like a sleeper, like, wouldn't that be kind of interesting as a first round pick? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so now that you've, it's like, like what we talked about, you got the blocking utility role that's locked up and the pass mm -hmm. catching tight end that's locked up now. So yep. now it's like, if there's a, a tight end early in the draft, first a hundred picks, let's say, mm -hmm. maybe not first round, maybe first round, but like first a hundred picks. And it's like, ah, yeah, but the, you know, he can't really block, you know, or it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, but he's not a great path. It's like, you know what? We we're good there. Like mm -hmm. we don't need a plug and play guy there. He's mm -hmm. so good at this that it's worth taking him and developing that mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. while we really benefit from this. Like you can now do that at tight end because you're set at that position. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this. If you're looking at all like draft picks are like, like, uh, can you help us now? Can you help us now? It's like, that's not a position of strength in the draft. I mean, no. you're planting seeds in the draft. And mm-hmm. when you sign a Josh Oliver and you have a TJ Hawkinson, it's planting season at tight end. Like yep. you, it just puts you in a position of strength. Yep. And I think uh, to, to quickly call out uh, uh, Josh Oliver one more time, because I think you're absolutely correct that we could draft a, a tight end in the first round. I think a year or two from now, you're in a phenomenal position to have an amazing tight end, tight end room uh, for the long term. Uh, yeah. But even for the short term, Josh Oliver is no schmuck. He was still the 19th ranked uh, tight end out of 120 uh, qualified tight end. So it's not like he is, I mean, he's above average, if not in, I mean, he's not top 10 necessarily, but he's definitely in the top 20. So when you compare a, a top five tight end and a top 20 tight end, I mean, there's not too many other tight end rooms in the league that have that type of tandem. You're right. You're right, Giles too. And and this is partially, um, and I don't, I play fantasy football, so I don't want to say this and come off as thumbing my nose to it or putting us on a pedestal at all. But the fantasy football culture that we, we have in the NFL, it sort of creates the, it's, it's a pitfall in your evaluation of how good and valuable certain players and types of players are. So mm-hmm. Josh Oliver is a good, and there are others like Josh Oliver. So it's not mm-hmm. just like, oh, we, we like the Vikings and everything the Vikings do is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but Josh Oliver is a good example of this where it's like, right. He doesn't have a ton of targets. He's not on a top five or 10 tight ends list in fantasy football magazine. So you don't know his name, but if you truly had just like in, in the real NFL, a tight ends draft, it's Mm -hmm. like, Hey, all of your tight ends are in the pool now. And we're going to hold a draft tight ends Mm -hmm. only like Josh Oliver's going before some of the tight ends that you would pick very early on in a fantasy football draft, mm-hmm. you know, because it's yep. like roster builders, team builders in the NFL know what Josh Oliver can do for your team from mm-hmm. a blocking standpoint, from a special team standpoint and supplementing the passing attack standpoint. It's like, mm-hmm. he might not like, I'm just thinking about like in my head, I'm thinking about like Zach Ertz, mm-hmm. Zach Ertz in his prime would have been a very high draft pick in that tight end hypothetical tight end draft. Mm-hmm. But I think Josh Oliver would go before Zach Ertz right now in like a real NFL tight end draft. Like who do you want on your team? People are picking Josh Oliver, you know? And so um, the other thing is you're not taking a flyer or, or standing on the table for a semi unknown commodity. This just in the Baltimore Ravens like to run the ball. Josh Oliver Mm -hmm. played and played a lot for the Baltimore Ravens. So if he can do it for Lamar Jackson and John Harbaugh, I think he can do it uh, for almost anyone, including the Vikings. You know what I mean? And when he was targeted from a pass standpoint, he did very, very well. It's just, he wasn't targeted very often. So if you can work him in schematically, I I think there's a a pretty decent upside there. And then on top of that, he's only 25 years old. So you're getting some guy that's right out of right into his first contract. So um, there's a lot of upside with Josh Oliver. So, um, when, when are we enshrining him in Canton? 
I couldn't remember. Yeah, that's could, that's what? next week, next Tuesday. <laughs> okay. <at three>. okay. <laughs> so we don't want to be too high. I, I guess yeah. some some people are driving off the road as they're listening to this. Uh, we're not. Uh, you know, we want to be. Let's temper our enthusiasm. Maybe yeah. a, we're not saying he's going to Canton, but we do like the signing. And look, mm-hmm. the last time we cracked the mic, the Vikings did not have Byron Murphy. Nope. Alexander Madison was on the street and they did not have Josh Oliver. And right now they do. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, the Bears, the Bears are coming and look out for the Lions favorites to win the division. But the Vikings are not exactly going backwards here this offseason. No. And I think the Vikings are an example of a team and to sort of wrap up, not just the tight end discussion, but maybe this this episode of the Wobcast here. So if you have any other notes to get to, Giles, uh, get them ready. But, you know, the Vikings were a team, I think, if you could offseason categorize teams as like just a few things to figure out and they're good and lots of stuff to figure out and they're good, lots of stuff to figure out and they're bad. I would categorize the Vikings as like a really good team, but a lot of things to figure out. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And we've gone through the list of those things that they have to figure out in all these episodes of the Wobcast. I mean, it was a big list. Like the, the Vikings honeydew list this offseason was a big one, mm-hmm. you know, whereas some other teams it's, it wasn't as big. But the Vikings are systemically, they're getting through them. They're going through them. And I don't know that they've done anything where I was like, boy, I don't know about that. I I really don't know. You know, I I think you were higher on um, Brian Flores than I was, Mm -hmm. but I'm not down on that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I, I'm not, I'm not really going about anything. Now, if, if Dalvin at his cap number might be one of those where I'm like, ah, really? But if they have a great plan for him, if they're going to throw it to him and if they're going to, if they have a good plan for him, I'll, I can dig it. Um, yep. You know, but um, I, I kind of like how they're going through it right now. And really this is buoyed by the Murphy signing and the Josh Oliver signing. Those were two things where I was just like, man, those, those are wins. Those mm-hmm. are absolute wins. I really like those. Um so I got to give credit, I guess, to Quezzi and O'Connell for the way they're handling this in the offseason, because there were a, there's a lot of hoops to jump through and hurdles to get over. And, and the, they're, they're not falling down on any of them yet. Yeah. And this would be pure speculation, but I anticipate the Vikings to try to re-sign Duke Shelley um, to try to further solidify the cornerback room. And then in the first round, they either draft a linebacker, or a wide receiver. That's my prediction, because at the end of the day, uh, we did get Jordan Hicks to take a pay cut. Um, but I think he's only under contract for one more year. Um, and so when you, when you think about the, the draft as a, uh, what can I do next year? Um, I think a linebacker could be a really interesting element. Um, cause Brian Osamo, I expect to take a, uh, a step forward, especially with a starting position. So if you can improve the middle linebacker room, I know we've talked a lot, a lot about that. That was one of the biggest deficiencies for the Minnesota Vikings. If you can improve that, then you're great. I do think the second wide receiver is kind of a question mark. Now, maybe, maybe they think that, uh, KJ Osborne can step into that role or Jalen Naylor, especially if you plan on uh, operating in a 12 personnel unit, most of the time, or at least a, a much bigger percentage of the time, um, it becomes less of a, a priority, but I do expect them to be more active in free agency yet before the draft, um, not draft a, a cornerback, but uh, sign one in free agency yep. and then either go wide receiver or li- uh, linebacker in the first round. Yeah. I think the first round pick maybe the exception here but beyond that i really it's really gotta get off the rails or 
be a lot of curious selections for me to immediately after a draft be sharply critical of it because just having the perspective i think you and i share it but yours is from following the game closely for a long time and giving it a lot of thought and and mine is from that and having the fortune of being with a team for 15 years the draft is not supposed to be something that gets you to be able to win the next year. Mm-hmm. You cannot look at it through that prism. You have to look at it through like, what's your system? How are you at developing players? What's your vision? You're mm-hmm. building a roster. You're not winning games with draft picks. You're building a roster with draft picks, you know? So other than what they do in the first round and looking at the trades they make, their their output in the draft is not going to affect how I view their offseason. It's really not, you know. So um what's gonna affect my grade when we grade their offseason eventually is stuff like Josh Oliver and Byron Murphy and making the hard but right decision on Kendricks and the hard but potentially right decision on Thielen mm-hmm. and being cunning enough to get Murphy and resign Duke Shelley. Mm-hmm. Like those are, you know, those are much more impactful to me than who'd you take in the third round? Oh, a linebacker from UCLA. No, you should have taken that guard from Texas tech. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like that's yeah. splitting hairs there, splitting hairs, but getting Byron Murphy and Josh Oliver, that is not splitting hairs. Like those, those are winning moves. So um, I still think the draft is worth talking about and we're getting pretty close to it actually. Like we'll, we'll start looking at maybe some prospects and watching guys, you know, and having some opinions on what they can do. But um, I think it's really important to have that right perspective on the draft, you know, and mm-hmm. it's place in the roster building process. It's not, you don't win games with draft picks, you build rosters. So mm-hmm. agreed. And we didn't even mention uh, Marcus Davenport and free agency. I think he was oh, yeah. one of the best uh, edge rushers that we signed. Uh, although he's had some Great injuries role. in the past. I think he's a phenomenal uh, addition. If he can stay healthy, um, it'll be interesting to see how that translates into what our overall outside linebacker room looks like when you have yep. Daniel Hunter and Zadaria Smith, both of them are still technically under contract and on the Minnesota Vikings. So um, depending on what he does um, on the, on the, the defensive roster, if that means that we're going to exit one of those players or if we just want to sign him for depth. But um, yeah, in, interesting move nonetheless and uh, a quality signing considering his cap. It is. It, it is. And his omission from my notes or whatever is, uh, is, a, is a little bit of an oversight. Uh, I just It just didn't register with me when I was going through Thielen and Byron Murphy and Bud Grant and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think... I think the Davenport signing Giles is definitely like a bunch of scouts getting together and being like this guy. I mean, I know he was hurt, but this guy's a monster, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm sure that Quezzy and his staff probably had a really high grade on Davenport when he was coming out and they weren't on the team that drafted him, which was the saints. And in fact, the saints traded two first round picks to get up there to get him. Mm -hmm. And the saints, by the way, at that time had Sean Payton and still have Mickey Loomis as their GM, very, very skilled evaluators and roster builders, team builders. So um, I, I like it a lot. I don't know what it signals for Hunter and Zadarius and all that. It just, to me, it, it is absolutely to me, 
it's got the mark of a bunch of scouts with really high grades when he was coming out in the draft, saw him become available. And they're like, let's take a chance on him. Like Mm -hmm. if he stays healthy and if this, and if that, then this, and they didn't break the bank for him. They they essentially took a flyer on him. So, yep. Another calculated move by Mr. Quezzy. Yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm not trying to go over the top on it. I'm just saying a lot of stuff to sort through and figure out and, and they're doing it. They're doing it right now and they still have some more things to get to. Um, but, uh, so far so good, I think for the Vikings off season and, um, NFC North is interesting guys. You know, it's, I, I think I'd install the Vikings as a favorite. Um, but I think if you looked at every favorite in every division, I don't know that they'd be one of the heavier favorites. I think they'd be in the bottom half of the favorite teams to win their division. And I'd put the lions just right there, Mm -hmm. if not even. And I actually think the unknown in the division is the Packers. I don't think the bears are the unknown. I think the bears arrows pointing up, but they're beneath the lions. Mm -hmm. It's really about Jordan love. I think the Packers are a huge question mark. I don't, I don't sense that we're getting Favre Rogers love. I don't think that's coming. I don't think so either. If yeah. they do, you better buy as much stock in uh, in the Packers as you can because that's yeah. the luckiest franchise in history. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think that's coming, but I don't know that it's dumpster fire either with Matt LaFleur and Jordan Love. So it'll be interesting to coach. see how that plays out. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. But uh, interesting division. I think the Vikings are right in the thick of it. And so far, I, I overall, I really like what they're doing in the offseason. Um you know, and I, I think you and I probably share, share that opinion. So mm-hmm. agreed. Um, let's see for position groups. We're kind of getting to the end of the offense. This is true. Um, so I think we'll go to defense. Giles really loves um, a player who stands to see an increased role in the Vikings defense this season. Do you, do you know who I'm alluding to? I do. What's his name? Mr. Brian Asamoah or yes, Josh Metellus? Asamoah. One of the two. No, yeah. Asamoah. Metellus, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Metellus too. We talked a lot about Metellus and Duke Shelley, but Brian Asamoah is someone that you were sort of, um, you were bringing to our attention, like even during the season, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, di- we haven't spent a lot of time talking linebackers. I think maybe we should shift our focus to defense and talk linebackers. Agreed. Uh, in the next episode of the Wobcast 2.0. So, Um, being in a three, four defense though, um, it's a, it's a lot to tackle, to talk linebackers. Cause you've really got a few different positions to think about. Um, you got your inside backers then your, your strong side and weak side. Uh, and then you have an edge rushing component too. So it'll Mm -hmm. be a lot to discuss and talk through, but I think we should do linebackers the next time we crack the mic. And then of course we can tackle a whole bunch of other, uh, news notes and nuggets that happen between, now and then did we omit anything from your notebook for this episode of the Wobcast though? No, I think we covered it. We uh, definitely right. covered a lot of the Minnesota Vikings offense and excited uh, to hop over onto the other side of the ball. Yeah, we, I am too. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Wobcast. It was episode six of season two. If you've missed any previous ones, or you want to uh, listen back to anything we said today, or you may have missed today, you can find the Wobcast 2.0, wherever you find your other podcasts. Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, chief among them. We're also on YouTube. Find 
me on social at Wabi on Twitter. We're also on Instagram, the Wobcast. So go find us there. Uh, we're trying to post as much interesting content as we can. So Chase unable to join us on behalf of Chase. And of course, my co-host Giles, this is Wabi signing off for now, the Wobcast 2.0 back next week to talk linebackers and defense. Until then we sign off Skull Vikings.